All right, all right. Good morning, good morning, Pillar Church. Good morning, good morning. Let's have a seat and let's pray together. Lord God, it is such a privilege that we take for granted the gathering of your people together to sing praises unto your name. And I'm so thankful that you reminded us this morning, I think it was evident for all, that all we need is found in Jesus. Lord Jesus, if you would give me an audience with you, Lord, you are worthy of all praise. You are magnificent in every sense of the word. Lord Jesus, you are gracious. You're strong. Lord Jesus, you're gentle. Lord Jesus, you are kind. You are the definition of selflessness, Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus, you are merciful. And Lord Jesus, you are everything we need. We are fallen, Lord Jesus. We are sinful, Lord Jesus. We are broken, Lord Jesus. We break things, Lord Jesus. We are a people who are hurting, and we are a people who hurt other people. We are a people who are imperfect, and a people who need you. Because we have sinned against the Father. We have broken your law. We have transgressed your nature. We have disregarded any and all covenant that is between you and your people, Lord God. We are sinners. And without your sacrifice, Lord Jesus, we remain in a state of being under God's wrath. But 2,000 years ago, you saw fit at the fullness of time to take on human flesh, to provide not only a, a method and a means that we are to follow as an example of a God-honoring life. No, that wasn't enough. Lord, you gave your life for the very ones who sinned against you, who sinned against the Father and the Spirit of God. And then, and then you imputed, you gave to us, you subtracted our sin, and you put on and in us your righteousness before God. So that when he sees us, when the Father looks upon us, he sees the righteousness of you, Lord Jesus. Yeah. You no longer see and regard our filth as something to divide us. But your blood cleanses us. It brings about a method of forgiveness that we can be one with you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We are nothing without you. 
Lord, before we come to you desiring the benefits of the cross, I pray that we come to you recognizing that it's our sin that caused it. That you were gracious enough to give yourself for us anyway. You said on the cross, Father, forgive them because they do not know what they do. (laughs) How true. And then, Lord, just before you yielded up your spirit, you said that it is finished. You've accomplished redemption eternally for those who have placed their faith in you, for those who will turn from their sin and trust in Jesus Christ alone for reconciliation with God, for union with God, for the gift of God, for the presence of God, and for the, for the, the, for the saving from your wrath. Only you could accomplish that, Lord Jesus. And now, because of what you have done, and the recognition that you've opened our eyes, that you are all that we need, we can sing that you're good, and your mercy endures forever, and that people from every tribe, nation, and tongue will gather together under a banner that yields your name with the title the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, and we come together as a people with different culture, different background, different experiences, different sins, different struggles in life, and we can sing that, Lord, you are good, and your mercy endures for all eternity, because you are an eternal God who redeems people from all eternity. Lord, thank you for not leaving it up to me. Thank you for not leaving it up to us. And I want to thank you that your special gifting of to pillar. My eyes behold people from every tribe, nation, and tongue under this roof. My eyes behold us singing to one Jesus. Wow. That don't happen everywhere, Lord. But you've allowed our eyes to see. You've allowed our, our, our voices to participate in it. And Lord Jesus, I just want to say thank you. I got nothing else I can give you, but thank you. Everything is yours. Everything is yours already, Lord. I don't know what else to say, but thank you. Thank you. It feels so feeble to say thank you, and that's all I got for you, Lord. But I give you my life. These people here, I pray that they give you their lives. And that we demonstrate our forgiveness by being ambassadors of your name. From the barbershop to the coffee shop, to the basketball court, to the workplace. to the grocery store. Wherever our lives put us, prompt us 
to be ambassadors of the king. Because if we truly believe that the good news is good, we can't help but share it. And so, Lord Jesus, I thank you for, my pe- for these people that you've put under this roof for us to care for and love. Thank you for the body of Christ worldwide. Thank you for your goodness and grace toward us who are sinners. You're awesome, Lord. All I got is a hearty thank you. Keep me in you. And keep them in you. Because we cannot keep ourselves. Lord, we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, amen. Good morning, Pillar Church. Uh, Y'all can come in. My bad, I was praying. Y'all can come on in. My name is Kanan Parker. Um, One of the pastors here at Pillar Church. I just want to welcome you and thank y'all. So this morning is a special Sunday in the life of Pillar Church because this morning, and feel free, y'all can clap for this, this is a membership Sunday. Yes, yes, membership Sunday. It's a good thing. It's a membership Sunday. There are several of you who have decided that you are going to covenant with uh, the people here at Pillar Church officially, that we are going to be here as the gathered people of God, and we've decided that we are going to covenant together as ambassadors to the king. And I praise God for those of you who have, and those of you who have, at the end of this message, you have the opportunity to come. Uh, We will extend the right hand of fellowship unto you, um, and then uh, I'll give you all those instructions later. There are others of you who have not yet decided to covenant with the people of God in this place, and that's all right. God desires, and God God desires to, to have you covenant with a body of Christ, a local congregation somewhere. And it may be here, it may be elsewhere, but I want to encourage you and I want to encourage those who have who have decided to covenant with the people of God here. I want to encourage you that your decision is biblical and for your benefit in God's glory. And for those of you who have not, I pray that the, the little bit that we go over this morning would encourage you and spur you on to desire to officially covenant with God's people in this place this morning as representatives of light in this area, this side of Fort Worth. God has, there's no such thing as loose covenants in the scriptures. When God makes a covenant with his people, he makes a strong, official, everybody knows and understands this kind of covenant. Therefore, we can see when the covenant has been transgressed. And as God's people, we can call ourselves back to the covenant that was made before God and before the cloud of witnesses. Amen? I think that church membership is important, but I think it all starts with a healthy view of what church membership is because most of us don't have a healthy view of what it is. I'm going to give you an example. In 2017, I had the opportunity to go to Haiti. My wife and her family are from there. And so we got to go to Haiti, and man, that country, if you have not been, one of the most beautiful countries on earth, I swear. Yeah. (laughs) You can tell who's Haitian when you start saying that, right? The food, amazing. The people, brilliant people. Absolutely brilliant. In fact, it's funny, as a a stuck-up, cocky American, I go there, and I, I want them to speak English. And they're like, well, I speak three other languages, bro. You know what I mean? It's great. But the, the brilliant people. 
The food is amazing. The, the coastlands are like postcard worthy. But the most memorable part of that vacation that we took back in 2017 had nothing to do with anything that was vacation-like. We landed in Port-au-Prince. We drove about 30 minutes or so, and we went up a mountain, like a small mountain called Vivi Michelle, which is just outside of Port-au-Prince. And we drove up that mountain, and, and we, the, the view was astonishing. If we were more technologically advanced, I'd put a view up there for you, but we ain't there. <laughs> and as night fell, you see the city lights, right? I'm standing on a small balcony, and I see the city lights shining, shining from, from the city. But there was this one particular light that was bright. There was one particular light. It was like a handful, a cluster of lights that was outshining all the other lights around it. It was so bright. It was this beacon. You couldn't tell what it was, but it was so bright you couldn't ignore it. And my wife's uncle came out to the balcony with me, and I'm like, what's that? And he said, oh, listen, if anything goes down while you're here, I want you to break for those lights. I want you to just book it, take your family and book it to those lights. And I'm like, why? He said, because that's the United States Embassy. And I was like, okay, what, what does that mean? Well, if you don't know what an embassy is, an embassy is a piece of land that is in a foreign territory that belongs to another country or ruler. It's the place where negotiations between that foreign land and this other land meet and discuss and talk. And if something was to go down in Haiti, though I was in the land of Haiti, that beacon of light, that land, that building was United States property. And as a citizen of the United States, if I was to go to that building and verify that I was a United States citizen, it would afford me privileges Protection, provisions, safety, belonging. There was a place that I could go if something was to go down where I would be safe. And I didn't get those privileges because I had to pay for it. I got those privileges by default by being born a United States citizen. And it's a similar thing to church membership. Because the church is like God's embassy here on earth. And the people of God who belong to him through faith in Jesus Christ have a beacon or a place where they belong to, where they can run to when this world, where this place which is not our home, gets hostile, begins to break us down. If you could but verify that you are a citizen of heaven by faith in Christ, then you belong in that place. The scriptures tell us, you can see this in your cross-reference sheet, Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. In your cross-reference sheet, Paul speaking of us believers here, he says, our citizenship is in heaven. That's where our citizenship is. 
If you're a believer, and to hear me, if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, then you are a sojourner in a foreign land and a representative of heaven in that place. Because your citizenship is not defined by where you were born. Your citizenship is defined in whom you placed your faith. And if you placed your faith, your trust in Jesus, then you qualify as a citizen of heaven. Paul says in Philippians 3.20, our citizenship is in heaven. And what are we doing? We eagerly wait for a savior from back home. Y'all see what it says, right? Because when stuff pops off, we need the savior to come save. Our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly wait for a savior from there. Who is he? Paul doesn't let you think anything other than the Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2.19. In your cross-reference sheet, look at it. So then, you are no longer foreigners and strangers. But what are you? Key word, fellow. Fellow. Your fellow citizens with who? The saints. And with God. Yeah, you, yeah, yeah. you got that. Good job, Meek. Your fellow citizens with the saints and your members of God's household. But there's something happened from the first century church to now. Something changed. Something shifted. And what shifted was our mentality and our belief of these statements right here. Because something, the shift that's taken place is something that I call renegade low Christianity. Well, we think that we are not held accountable to each other anymore. We think that we no longer have to watch out for one another anymore. But in not watching out for one another, we also think we can claim the benefits or claim the belonging to a people. You ever have somebody, this happened to me, we have family gatherings. And they come and they say, I'm part of the family. And you look at them like, bro, no, you ain't. You, you think you're part of the family, bro, but no, yeah, you, you said it in front of them. You're like, yeah, we don't know this dude. That's the shift that's taking place between the first century and the 21st century is that we say we belong somewhere. We say we're the people of God in this place somewhere, but we have not covenanted together. You don't even know the name of the people sitting on the side of the room. But you're the people of God in this place, though. There's no such thing as loose covenants in the scriptures. You never see it just... See, what we lost is our wartime mentality. Because in the first century, there was such a need for one another that they, by default, depended on one another. It was my brother. I need him. He needs me. There's no question as to who, who or where we belong. But in the 21st century, we got some freedoms. We got some freedom from persecution. We got some, some, lax, we got some laxness that went on. We got, as the people of God, overly concerned about what the world may see of us, overly concerned about what other people may think about us covenanting together because that's weird and we want to make it palatable for people to come and not see weirdness. Well, I got something for you. We're going to be weird as the people of God, and we're going to covenant together as the people of God. 
despite what anybody else thinks. We are citizens of a kingdom, and this kingdom is not of this world, John 18, 36. Christian, know this. You may live in this world, but you are not of this world. Which means, bros need to stick together out here. Because the world is hot and will burn you. It will hurt you. How many of you, don't raise your hand, but y'all done been burned up in this world. Y'all been burned up by each other. Some of the deepest hurt we have in this world is church hurt. With a imperfect pastor or the imperfect congregant hurts the other person and who's going to call that person to holiness but the people who have covenanted to call that person to holiness just like a foreign U.S. embassy when the people of God gather together as an outpost of gospel citizens in a foreign land also called the local church They bear protections, provisions, privileges, and citizenship validation. The local church is God's embassy. It's lit by the light of the gospel in the midst of a dark, dangerous, foreign world. And so we got to covenant together. I need to be able to have you hold me accountable before God cleanly. There's no such thing as being, this, being a citizen in a foreign land without belonging to that U.S. embassy. And there's no such thing in the text as being a believer and not belonging to a local congregation. Now, the way that that looks is different throughout history. And in the 21st century, because of the context in which we live, we do it a particular way in order that we can define who the people of God are. Are because in the first century it was defined through persecution when you were baptized you automatically made yourself a marked man or woman but now especially in the Bible belt that doesn't mark anything as it should but there's no lack of covenant in God's word between their people we see shadows and types throughout the entire Old Testament of the people of God covenanting together People have asked me, they said, Pastor K, where's church membership in the Bible? Now, I want to readily admit something. You're not going to find the words church membership in the text. It's not there. We at Pillar Church also believe in the Trinity. But the word Trinity, I don't know if you know, the word Trinity is not in the Bible either. There's a lot of things that you do or believe that that specific word is not in the text. And as soon as we can let go of this idea that we have to find the word church membership in the Bible, as soon as we stop looking for the country country club method of church in the Bible, what we'll see with our eyes is church membership everywhere. See, we got used to seeing it a certain way. We got used to seeing pay to play. We got used to seeing pay to play. I want to join this club, and so I put down the deposit, and now I'm in and I reap the benefits. That's not biblical membership. But that's what we're looking for. And so when we don't see it, we say it's not there. No, we're looking for the wrong thing. We see church membership not in name, but in substance. Instead of looking for 
the country club method of church membership. We need to search the scriptures and look for a Lord and find his bound together people. That's what you find in the text. We must look for a head who is Jesus and a body who is the body of believers. And you can't be a living body part when you're apart from the body. Local membership is, an essential, is essential to a believer as a passport is in a foreign land. Thus, our thinking about church membership has to be, take a similar nuance. It has to take that wartime mentality. For in wartime, we have a need for one another. So instead of giving you an exhaustive teaching on church membership, which I don't know, maybe I'll do that in a video, I want to commend to you a work by a man named uh, Mark Dever and Jonathan Lehman called Church Membership. They have a small book and a thick book. The thick book is exhaustive. The small book is for guys like me. <laughs> Probably a lot of y'all. It's a little blue book, I think. Get it, it may be a blessing unto you. What I want to do instead of giving you that exhaustive, you know, searching through the scriptures for all of this, I just want to name some of the benefits of church membership, because my, my goal is to encourage those who have covenanted together that what you're doing is for your good, God's glory. And the first benefit is this. It's biblical. Anytime something's biblical, it's beneficial. As I said, there's no explicit command in Scripture that says every Christian must join a local church. It's not there. But when you read the Scriptures comprehensively and in context, it indicates that every Christian is a part and by default ought to be a part of a local body. Now, there are circumstances where there is no local body. You're the lone Christian trying to build a local body. Understand, this is the normative circumstances. If there is a local body, then the believers belong to such bodies. One reason is that one reason there's no explicit command to join a church is that it is an assumed, understood, fundamental reality and premise in the text. It's already something that they do. I, you know how you know how when you. And some of my brown, black and brown brothers and sisters know this. You know how sometimes we'll get together and we're in a majority culture space and we lock eyes and we see each other and all we got to do is this and we know we good? Oh, you here? Cool. Right, right? It, nothing need be said. We already understood the paragraph conversation that happened. It's just... And we done. What did that signify? It signified belonging. It signified, it signified, okay, you here, I'm here, we must be, I got you, you got me. A whole conversation happened in that little what's up. It need not be said. And there's a similar reality in the first century church where it need not be said all these things that we have to say now because of the continual watering down of the church. But let me give you some examples of that. The Apostle Paul wrote all of his 13 letters to local churches. Not to the church universal, not to every believer in every land and country and place. Galatians chapter one is the is the broadest you'll get from him to the churches in Galatia, to the church in Rome, to the church in Colossae, to the church in Ephesus. And then he would say, 
He said this to the Colossians. He said, go get the letter that I wrote to the Laodiceans and bring that mug over here and read it to your people too. He's writing to specific congregations, specific bodies of people. And then if you are so lucky to read through the book of Romans, it's a beautiful book. And you get to the last chapter, Romans chapter 16. What do you find? You find Paul having intimate knowledge and understanding as to who belongs to the church at Rome. He starts calling out names. Say what's up to this person and this person. Tell this person that I said what up. Tell this person, oh, well, we're going to make it over there soon. I'm going to come. I'm going to bring the homies. We're going to get it in. You see this, this intimate understanding of the people who belong to the local body at Rome. He doesn't name people from Philippi when he's talking to the Romans. He doesn't name people from Ephesus when he's talking to the Romans. If you read the scriptures and you start looking for this concept of belonging, you'll see this in your cross-reference sheet. All of a sudden, you start seeing things like numerical records that are being kept. You see records of widows being kept. And if you're a note-taker writer, you can also add Acts 6, 1 through 7 to that record of, of widows. Because that's where they started establishing the servants of the church because the, the elders were inundated with so much need for the church that they had to get some help. You see elections taking place in that same chapter. You see church discipline taking place. And in some of those instances in church discipline in Corinthians, he's naming people from that place. One of the most powerful ones, which we'll see a little bit later, is that there's an accountability between the elders and the people who have covenanted in that place. And as I already said in Romans chapter 16, it's like a chapter full of names, the people. Guys, it's, church membership is biblical. We don't see it didactically. We see it in narrative form. Second reason, church membership will help you grow spiritually. Because becoming a member of a church means joining an entire group of Christians who have now covenanted to watch over you spiritually. What does that mean? If you want to grow in grace, of, if you want to grow in the graces of Christ, get together with other believers who have covenanted to push you closer to Jesus. That's what they've, they've agreed with you to be closer to Jesus, to push you in that direction. Instead of having one or two friends that may do it, you have a small army of Christians who are publicly committed to loving you and serving you and watching over you. In your cross-reference sheet at the very top, there's a set of scriptures in red. And it's an overused passage. I don't care. It's a beautiful one. And it's one we need to heed. Hebrews chapter 10. Look what it says in verse 24. Let us consider one another. That's Christian being told to actively think about one another, right? Why? In order to provoke 
Think about one another in order to provoke, to stir you, to push you, to prod you in a direction. To provoke love in you. And to provoke, the script. The text says, good works. But notice what's happening in verse 25. And look at the flip side of that verse in your mind. If you don't gather together as the people in that place, you can't do that. It says, verse 25, not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing. What's the, what does that mean? It means that if you do neglect gathering, then you cannot fulfill the one another that the author of Hebrews has commanded you to fulfill with one another. It says all the more, as you, you're going to encourage them all the more as you see the day approaching. A third reason is protection. If you're a member of a local church, that church's elders and pastors should care for you, pray for you, personally counsel, and teach you. That is the role of an elder or a pastor in a local congregation. As a member of their church, they are accountable to God for how they lead you. And this point is poignant, especially for a pastor or an elder, because as a pastor, I am not spiritually responsible for every soul in Fort Worth. I am responsible for the flock of God that resides here at Pillar Church. Look with me, if it's in your cross-reference sheet, at Hebrews chapter 13. It says to the congregants, to the members, it says, remember your leaders. Now stop there and think about it. That means that these people have agreed that that elder is their leader, right? It's not just some, I don't know dude from down there is, is he your leader? Is he your, your spiritual leader? Or no. no, he's saying, no, remember your leaders. How do you know they're yours? Look what they did. The very next couple words, what do they do? Who have spoken God's word to you. They're intimate, they're close, they're together, they're in the same place, they have relationship with one another. As you carefully observe the outcome of their lives, imitate their faith. What does that mean? That that shepherd is responsible for that flock in that place and that he is seen, tangible, accessible. You see me. Many of you have been at my dining room table or I've been at yours. We can spur one, and on, one, each, one another on in love and good works. And you can imitate my faith as I try to imitate godly faith and be led toward Jesus. But that's not all it says. Look at verse 14. It reminds us of our citizenship again. It says, we do not have an enduring city here. On this earth, we don't have an enduring city. Instead, we seek the one to come. Therefore, through him, let us continually offer up to God a sacrifice of praise. That is the fruit of lips that confess his name. And then he says in verse 16, don't neglect to do what is good and to, and to share but God is pleased with such sacrifices. Verse 17, obey again, here it is, your leaders and submit to them, 
since they keep watch over your souls. And this is so scary for me to read, these next words. As those who will give an account. When church membership is taken seriously, it enhances the care for your soul. Because before God, your elders have to give an account for you and love you and prod you. It says, obey your leaders and submit to them since they have to keep watch over your souls as those who are given account so that they can do this with joy and not with grief. For that would be unprofitable for you. You gain protection. Another element of protection is that your elders are also responsible for protecting, shielding, uh, uh, building up, encouraging you as the people of God from cults that reside in and through our local context. You may or may not know it, but oftentimes when I'm teaching, I say certain things on purpose that will hopefully uh, uh, equip you to deal with cults that are out there. I don't always have to say the name of the cult. You just have to know the scriptures well enough to understand when they say such, well, the scripture says this. Sometimes it's explicit. Sometimes it's not. Number four, assurance. Membership is the church's affirmation of someone's profession of faith. The church does, the church looks at, now let me, let me say that again. The church doesn't dictate or determine whether or not you are a Christian. Nope. That's between you and your faith in Christ Jesus. The church doesn't dictate any of that. What do we do? We affirm that. How do we affirm it? Because we're intimate and I see your life and I see your profession, and I hear your words, and I get to say, you sound like a Christian, you look like a Christian. Join us who want to represent King Jesus well, for you believe like me in the same Jesus. So come, worship with me. When I was praying about being beat up this morning, it's not because it's some thing floating in my head. It's because I get beat up every week. I feel beat up by the world. And I feel more of a child of the devil sometimes than I do a child of God because of the way my flesh chases after sin. Because of the way that I allow those fiery darts of doubt that the enemy throws into my head to cause me to question the deity of Jesus, to cause me to question my security in him, to cause me to question whether or not I'm lovable, to cause me to question whether or not I belong, to cause me to question all kinds of things making me doubt God. What do I need? I need to call my brother and my sister. Hey, yo, I need some prayer. Your boy's hurt. And your response, because you've covenanted together to provoke one another to love and good works, is to pray and to come over and to lay your hands on me. And I expect that from you because we've covenanted to do that. We want Christianity without responsibility for one another. But you will not find that in the Bible. All you find is I am responsible for you. You are responsible for me. We're going to hold each other down. When you stray in sin, I'm going to call you. I'm gonna we're going to repent together. We're going to pray. When you're struggling, I'll put my hands on you and pray for you. I'm going to love you. Even though it's inconvenient even though you had a plan to go somewhere. We also need our brothers and sisters to remind us who we are and whose we are. 
And sometimes we need a brother or sister to tell us, though we may claim a faith in God, our life is looking very contrary to that. You know what that's called? You ready? Love. Love will have those conversations in a gentle way with you. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9 through 11, Paul does this. He names, you can see the cross-reference sheet, he names a list of sins. He says, these people will not inherit the kingdom of God. And the people of Corinth are being marred by these sins. But look what he says in verse 11. And some of you used to be like this. Sometimes I need a brother to tell me that. I need to call you. You got to tell me, yeah, you used to be like this. But what? But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus by the Spirit of God. We covenant to do that with one another. The last of these five things, again, this is non-exhaustive. is it fights against lone sheep Christianity. You won't find that in the text, even in Paul's life. Paul's never dolo. God never intended or prescribed for a Christian to go about his or her work, her faith walk alone. Never. We were never, never prescribed to do that. God saved us into a family for our good and for his glory. Look at Acts chapter 2, verse 37 through 47. I'm just going to read this section of scripture over you. When they heard this, what did they hear? They heard the gospel. When they heard the gospel, they were pierced to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what should we do? Then Peter replied, repent and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promises for you and for your children and all who are far off, as many as the Lord God will call. With many other words, he testified and strongly urged them, saying, Be saved from this corrupt generation. So those who accepted his message were baptized, and that day about 3,000 people were added to them. And then they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, to prayer. Verse 43. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and held all things in common. Where were they? Together. Verse 45, they sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds as, uh, to all, as many as had need. Verse 46, every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. Every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. It's spiritually dangerous to go at it alone. I want to give you just the beginning of the scriptures in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. What did God say? God said it is not good for man to be alone. And the same principle is true for you and your family. That we are able to now hold each other accountable. Prescriptively and descriptively. 
to the covenant we made before the cloud of witnesses to strive after Christ-likeness. Y'all feel me? And that's what we're going to witness this morning. This morning, we're going to get to witness and extend the right hand of fellowship to a grouping of people who have covenanted to hold one another down, to spur one another on to love and good works. And our posture toward that brother or sister when they ask us questions about our walk is to receive it humbly because we've agreed to prod each other closer to Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your mercy and grace toward us, the people of God, who have been saved by the blood of Christ. Lord, I pray that I pray that as we covenant with one another to spur one another on in love and good works, that the likelihood of believers being inundated and captured by sin would decrease and that we as beacons of light would shine brighter and brighter as we grow, kind of like that embassy that was seen from many miles away because there are so many believers who are holding each other accountable to be close to you, King Jesus, in this place that people can't help but see our love for one another and wonder what it is about us. It's that you loved us before we loved you and that you've called us to covenant together and to spur one another on in love and good works. And so, Lord, I pray that those who have come up, those who are were missing from here this morning that I didn't name, that they would begin to live out those one another's with the weight of their spiritual leaders helping, pushing, and prodding them in that direction. And for those who are uncomfortable or maybe haven't gotten to it, would you sink in the biblical principle that we see in the text in descriptive form? And we will join in that description as men and women who have covenanted together to, to join the ranks of those who represent you well. So, Lord, we are grateful. We thank you. Draw us near to the person of Jesus and to each other. In Christ's name, amen.